0: So when was the last time you busted out the fine china? Does anyone have fine china anymore? a few of you. Okay, we're, we still have some people that haven't just gone to one set for everything, you know, indestructible. I mean, you have the corral. I was asking Julie, what's the name of that white stuff, you know, that, our dishware, the, the stuff that I can drop and it, it doesn't break, although I did break one, but it wasn't Corel. It wasn't the, you know, the flat, the, the, uh, the white flat dishes, the main dishes or whatever, or the bowls. I mean, I've, those things have gone through wars, I'm sure. Somehow they got to us indestructible. But I'm talking about the fine stuff, you know, your better stuff. When do you bring that out typically, if you still have some? Well, the best stuff comes out when it's a special dinner, right? When it's time for the guests to come over, it's a Thanksgiving celebration or a Christmas celebration. You're lifting up the Lord, or maybe every time you eat tri-tip, I don't know. But, you know, one of those times where you've got to lift it to another level, you're trying to honor the guests that are there, or honor the people in your house, or honor the moment that you're celebrating, or Christ that you're celebrating, and so on. Well, today we're talking about what it means to really be a vessel of honor, not a vessel of dishonor. There's this distinction that God makes in his word, and specifically as Paul is teaching Timothy, and he teaches the church there at Ephesus and us today, as we study these same truths. How to be an honorable vessel, how to be that, that quote-unquote fine china for honorable purposes that actually brings attention and focus to God. Attention and focus to the specialness, not of an occasion or of the meat or the potatoes or the whatever else, but the attention to Jesus. And that's what Paul does is he challenges Timothy to remember that he is a vessel of honor and how to become more and more useful to the master. So we're going to look at two main truths. That to start with, being useful to the master, and then how to flee dishonorable passions that actually would dirty this vessel of honor that we are. So those two main truths. So we're going to jump in, grab your Bibles, and open up to 2 Timothy. We're now in chapter 2, verse 20. We're walking through this whole book where Paul is writing this second letter to Timothy, who was an elder and pastor over the church in Ephesus, had a great shepherd's heart, very tender, extremely committed to the purposes of God in the lives of others. That's really why he was such a good shepherd and, Paul, the same thing. Well, Paul was arrested. He's in prison for the second time, close to his death, writing with real passion, real strong encouragement and instruction. So take it like that, that these are the words from God through Paul to us today in this book and in these verses in 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So in every great house back then, every large house, they had two sets, if you will, of vessels. I mean, the the common ones, the dishonorable ones that would be wood and clay would be used for any kind of refuse from the home that needed to be taken out to the dump. You can imagine all the different things it was used for. But then there would be honorable vessels made of gold and silver that would be used at mealtime or for special occasions or for displaying flowers, anything that was beautiful, anything that was supposed to bring blessing to others in the house. So God, being the creator of all, if you will, you know, looks out on his creation, his house, not just Christ and the church, but actually all of creation. And he says that in Christ we become honorable vessels, that he cleanses us from what's dishonorable, our sin, and he makes us an honorable vessel. He makes us one that could be useful to the master for every good work and bring focus to the great truths of God, the great mercy or compassion of God, the love and the forgiveness of God, the relational building principles and truths of Scripture, that that's what an honorable vessel can be used for by God. So in his church specifically, gold and silver vessels, you and I, sons and daughters that have been saved by grace through faith, but specifically saved for the purpose of God honoring good works. Not saved so we can pursue our own dreams and the American dream and getting ahead and looking around and comparing and competing with others and building our 401ks or our retirement or our vacation schedule and all that. That's not the focus, although so much of that good blessing God brings our way, But our focus, our primary target or vision for life is to be used for good works. Good works meaning the purposes of God to bless people, to bring them back into a relationship with him, to bring his promises into the lifestyle of people so that they can have more and more of his presence and his blessing. We're no longer enslaved to ourselves and to our sin, right? We were the dishonorable vessels filling ourselves with dishonorable words and choices and actions. We were dirtied by our sin. But then Christ came and Christ went to a cross and he gave his all to bring cleansing and to bring forgiveness of sin. So if you're sitting here today and you've placed your faith in Christ, you've gone from being a dishonorable vessel, one in darkness, trapped by your sin and your selfishness. You've been transferred or translated into the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of his light, the kingdom of good works. Now you're no longer dishonorable to God because Christ has brought his cleansing and forgiveness in your life. And now he says, you're an honorable vessel, a gold or silver vessel used for the great purposes of God. Let's look at a couple of these different words and phrases here to get a little more understanding. What does honorable mean? Honorable means to give weight or value to something. So to say that you want to be someone doing honorable good works for God, it's you're wanting something that counts for the glory of God, that brings attention to God, not to yourself. It's about bringing weight and focus and a special value to who God is. It's stripping away the things of the world that muddy people's perception or perspective of God and giving them an accurate picture of how worthy he is of praise and honor. That's focusing on the value of God, being living honorably to bring him honor. And then also he uses this phrase, set apart as holy. To be set apart means to be consecrated or dedicated to God. So it's no longer saying, hey, I'm just going to do common things and common passions and desires of my flesh. It's I've been raised up in Christ to not do the common anymore, but to do the honorable, set apart, consecrated, committed, dedicated, passionate about things of God now because I've been rescued by God. So I should be about the things of God, the great one who rescued me from my own sin and from hell and gave me an eternal relationship I want to be set apart as holy for the purposes of God now, not self-interest. And then the word useful, translated profitable, something that's profitable. God wants your life to be profitable to things of the kingdom. You could be unprofitable. You could be living for self and carrying along, around you know, with, with most of the world, the philosophies, the ways of the world being thrown like a wave by other philosophies or other religions, other things that can take you away from the things of God instead of a pure focus on him. So we say, Lord, we want to be useful and profitable to you and you alone. We want to manage and steward our time, our abilities, our skills, our education, our personality, our spiritual gifts. We want to steward them in a profitable way that's useful to you. So use all things about me to make an impact for you and your kingdom. That's what it would mean to be honorable, set apart as holy and useful. So whether you've recognized it or not, if you're in Christ, you are that gold or silver vessel set apart for these good works. Not doing the things of your former life, to use the metaphor, the wood and clay activities that were dishonorable, that were taking you away from God, that had you trapped in your sin, that were bringing destruction and darkness to areas of your life. Now that's been lit up, forgiven, filled with the forgiveness of Christ. And now you have the light of Christ working in you as now an honorable vessel, not because of anything you've done, but by the grace of God, reserved now for the great purposes of God through your life that will far exceed anything you could ever plan for yourself. Any dream falls so short of the dream God has for you, the, the vision that he has for you, the, the, the direction he's taking you. He promised that what he started in you, he will finish. He has a purpose and a plan for your life and what he's doing. He wants you to recognize that truth and your great identity as an honorable vessel filled with the Holy Spirit, put on this earth for as long as he gives you life to make much of Christ. What a calling that is. And then to remain clean. We know the day we accepted Christ and his forgiveness, we were made an honorable vessel, right? The sin, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation of our sin was lifted from us. We're not identified that way anymore, right? You're not identified that way anymore. You have a sin nature that you battle, You have sin issues in your life like we all do that you're you're in your flesh that would want to pull you away from God and you have to say no and fight those. You have to resist those. But now what's most true about you is that you're a son or daughter of the King of Kings and you're an honorable vessel and you have an honorable, holy, powerful spirit, the Holy Spirit of God living in you to help you stay clean before this God. And if any sin would encroach or try to make a foothold in your life. You call it sin, you confess it, and the Lord moves it out of the way in your life so you can continue to be an honorable vessel ready for the master's use. In fact, that's what Ephesians 2.10 promises us. Paul, in this letter to the Ephesians, says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't it crazy to think that you have a pre-planned day of good works for you today. This was part of your day planned by God for you to be here and hear these truths and leave here with these truths in your heart to actually go out and better accomplish the good works he's prepared in advance for you. And tomorrow in this whole week, if he gives you breath, the breath in your lungs is a gift from God. And if he gives you a lot of those breaths and you get to live Monday, Monday is to be about good works. You being a vessel for the purposes of God in other people's lives. It's having your eyes fixed on Jesus, and Jesus is looking at the needs of other people. So you start looking at the needs of other people, and you start living for good works. And you go, well, I'm, this is what I've been designed to do. How do I get so distracted thinking life is, life's purpose is me meeting my own needs and me trying to get after my vision for me? How did I get that so wrong most of the time? Well, we forget that we're honorable vessels that he wants to flow through powerfully. That he has said we are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. He has things prepared ahead of time. Before I walk into him, he's lining them up for me. God, help me to be faithful to those good works. And when we're not and we stumble and we find ourselves in sin or we have an attitude of unforgiveness or we lied or we lusted or we compared or we competed or we coveted or whatever the sin is, we recognize it and we confess it to God. We know David gives us a good example of that in a couple different psalms. Psalm 51 too, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He was well aware of his sin of adultery and he confessed that to God and he wanted that thorough cleansing. And then Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is crying out to God, asking his Holy Spirit to search you. How often do you do that? How often do you ask the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you, if you know Christ, he lives in you, to illuminate the areas of your life that don't please him? That's like a risky prayer, isn't it? Would you agree? That's a faith-filled prayer. That's a gutsy prayer. Would you search me right now and know my motivations and know my mind, because you do. Just reveal it to me. Because I deceive myself. I fool myself. I I don't really want to challenge myself. I'd like to challenge others. If they could change, my life would be easier. If they could stop sinning or having that attitude or responding like that, my life would be easier. But how often do we say, Holy Spirit, would you search who? Me. Search me. Is there any grievous way in me? Is there any motivation that's dishonorable right inside me that causes me to respond or react like I do with people? that's not loving, that's not pleasing to you. So David gives, I think, a great example here, a great model. I want to live in the everlasting way, the ways of God. Get to my thought level, get to my motivations, Lord. Dig deeper, show me anything that doesn't please you. And I realize I'm going to need courage to face that thing. I'm going to need courage to admit that thing. But Lord, in your strength, I can see it as it is. Call it what it is. Call it sin and confess it to you. When you do that, you remove his power from holding you back. And then you say, now, God, give me the strength over that sin or this hatred or this whatever. Do you see that? A lot of people don't want to move toward confession. They don't really want to ask God to search them. They don't want to look at the bad stuff in their life. It's like, hey, I got enough stuff going on. I don't need more bad news. The way you get past the bad news is to face it, confess it, and then be strengthen to fight it and not let the pattern continue. Do you see that? This is freeing. This, the truths I'm telling you are freeing truths. They're not to make you feel bad. They're actually to help you not feel bad, to move away from the sin that's actually bringing destruction somewhere in your life. It's actually doing the bad stuff. When you confess it, you're doing the good stuff, the right thing, and now it will have no power over you until the next time you give into it, but you've asked for prayer or for power now for strengthening, right? So that's the difference. So wash me thoroughly, me thoroughly for my sins. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Any thoughts, any motivations, any grievous way? Point it out, I confess that. God, wow, I feel so free. I feel so clean. I know I've been forgiven in Christ, but I've been holding on to these sins. I, I'm, I'm falling into this depression because I'm in fear. Forgive me, Lord, I'm not trusting you. I'm not forgiving this person, so now I have a hatred and bitterness forming in my heart. It's a sin. Forgive me, God. I release that. Now it doesn't have power over you anymore. You see the freedom that can come? Okay, now somebody smile. Because <laughs> this is like heavy, but it's the most freeing, truthful kind of encouragement I think I could give all of us today. Don't get trapped in your sin. Don't let a persistent sin keep you down. Confess it, call it what it is, and get going, get growing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Matthew 23, Jesus also talks about this inside deeper work. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but, the inside, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. We kind of do it backwards. We want to clean the outside up first so that we can kind of, unfortunately, kind of project an image to others that we got it kind of going on, that we're at least a pretty good Christian or better than average. (laughs) Don't really have that many huge things going on, you know. No, we do have huge things going on. Huge things. Probably huge sin issues, huge brokenness in our own life and in our family. So if we just admitted the truth and go... Okay, but God still loves me, right? Even if I admitted that out loud and tell myself, he still loves me, right? Like completely, right? (laughs) We have to get there. No, he does completely love you and accept you. He loves you. He hates the sin. He wants you to hate the sin too. But you can admit the sin, confess it, and start to hate it, and it starts to lose its power over you, and you can grow in more Christ-likeness. He just wants you to start on the inside. Start at the motivation level. Say most times I'm apathetic and don't care about loving others. If that's the truth, say it. I could care less about most people in my life. It's really all about me. If that's the truth, if that's like the flat-out truth, we won't get anywhere until we admit it, right? You literally won't get this is actually a waste of time, what you're doing right now, unless you're willing to be that honest. If you're willing to be that honest, there's going to be freedom immediately. As soon as you say, I have a grudge of hatred toward that person, and the Holy Spirit helps you see it, And then you go, I'm sorry, Lord, I need to correct that. Now you're going to be on the road to freedom and the power of the Spirit will give you victory over that. It's amazing how that works, but we focus on the inside or we should, not the outside. If we clean up, if we allow the Lord to clean up the inside, the outside becomes clean as well. So really the truth is that we're all kind of hypocritical, every one of us, me included, because we know more of the truth than we're actually living. You could say more of the truth and what you should be doing than you're actually doing. Anyone want to agree with me on that? I should be every hand, but anyway, that's okay. You know more of the truth than you're actually living. You know you should. You know what to do is good, but you don't do it. God calls that sin. Oh, well, then I guess I could have raised my hand. Yeah, (laughs) all of us. So he's saying, don't be the hypocrite. Don't play that. When the Lord convicts you of a sin, a weakness in an area, You confess it. You're agreeing with God instead of pretending. No, you agree with it before God in the midst of his incredible love and acceptance. You call it. You confess it. Now it's out of the way. Now you move on. That is the recipe for spiritual growth like on steroids, what I just told you. Most Christians get caught up. I can't say that out loud to God. Admitting that would be like horrible. No, it wouldn't be horrible. to be freeing. The most exciting thing you could do is be that honest with God and you'll get out of the slump that you're in, you'll get out of the depression that you're in, you'll get out of whatever issues you have going on because you'll now be free and more like Jesus and then more free to go carry out his honorable good works. So that's why I wanted to spend some time on that, looking at David's heart. Cleanse me completely. Know every thought, everything, God. It's all, all plain before you. I'm naked before you, get, you, God. Forgive me. Point it out, Lord. What do I need to Confess. Some of you need to do that. You haven't done that for years. Or you haven't done it for days or weeks. I don't know. You need to get that honest with God. And just say, all of it. All of it. Maybe get a pad paper out. That helps you. <laughs> Anything else, Lord? Anything else? And then you picture the blood of Christ forgiving you for all that, and you burn that paper. And you say, that was, that was, last, that was last hour. <laughs> that was last week. I know who I am in Christ now. Forgiven and cleansed. Being an honorable Vessel for his new purposes in my life. So we say, Lord, do a deeper work on the inside so that it then moves from my heart all the way out into every relationship. Useful to the master, ready for every good work, cleansed by Christ, and then staying at a place of cleansing every day. Confession being a regular part of our lives. And then he shifts to the real, that's practical, but then I think this is even... equally practical, is we then have to flee certain things, things that are dishonorable, passions that get in the way, and he gets very specific about some of those. So let's pick it up in verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil being after being captured by him to do his will. So the first thing he talks about are these youthful passions. You can remember what it was like to be young. Some of you are sitting here, you're young <laughs> now. But can, do you remember any of the sin that you kind of got taken up with that trapped you? Sin that held its its grip around your throat? You were c- captured by the enemy to do his will. And you actually didn't even realize it. You're just living for self for whatever youthful desires and passions that you have. You know, the partying lifestyle. Maybe that was part of it for you. The drinking, the sexual morality, the binging, the impurity or whatever. Or whatever was part of your darkness and your sin before Christ that that youthful desire that no one should be able to tell you how to live. They don't have a right. They don't know you. They don't know your circumstances. They don't have a right. And then you actually face God and you go, but he has a right because he's my creator and he loves me and he wants to free me from the destruction I'm bringing on myself. And you go, I don't want to stay in those youthful passions that took me away from God. So we acknowledge those and we confess those and we move away from those. Part of the problem I think they were facing and some here are probably facing is you're still living in some of those old patterns, those youthful passions of darkness or sin, and they're holding you back. Dishonorable habits and dishonorable sinful habits die hard, don't they? Sometimes we just try to subdue them, but God wants us to kill them. He wants us to crucify those, recognize that they're crucified through Christ when he went to the cross. Hatred is never going to work for you. It's never something to hold on to. Bitterness, it's never a good thing. No matter how much right you think you have and how horrible that person was in what they did. It will always bring poison to your own heart. So you should learn to release that to God. See what I mean? Is that a a passion of hatred in your past or lust or um, whatever else is like holding on and you just go, wow, I I keep lying in this situation. I I don't have integrity and I know it and I'm trying to work all the angles and I got to give that up to God and call it what it is. It's dishonorable. It's persistently dragging me down and not presenting myself as this vessel of honor ready for the master's use. I'm not ready for his use right now because I'm so distracted by this sin, this dishonorable, youthful passion or whatever it is. Romans 13, 14 says, Make no provision for the flesh to gratify, to gratify its desires. Making a provision, making room, allowing, making the exception. Don't allow that sin. Call it what it is. Confess it to God as often as you need to do that. and Realize it needs to die, not remain in your life at any level. It needs to die. You need to crucify it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Have you honestly faced your own sin and said, it needs to die. I'm letting it live. I'm, I'm actually holding it close like a friend. It needs to die. We all need to have that perspective of hatred toward our sin so that we realize it needs to die. He also then, in verse 23, says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies and quarreling. He talked so much about that last week and um, we kind of dug into that, so I don't want to really say a whole bunch right here. Other than to say, you know, there are arguments that we get into, and I, and I don't think sometimes it's, it's an argument to be right. It's an argument to be better than someone. Uh, you can tell because of the volume and because of the, the heat of the discussion, the debate. It is more about you and your perspective and being right. That kind of quarreling doesn't accomplish the things of God. If you have a truth to share a correction to bring, We're taught how to do that in scripture and it's not through quarreling, heated argument, debating nonstop with a real passion to be right. Unfortunately, we see that all over Facebook, don't we? And in face-to-face gatherings at times. Instead of that, we flee that now. He's saying you gotta run from that and you've gotta pursue something else. So you're turning from youthful passions and the quarreling, arguing, Heated controversy back to simple truth and pursuing righteousness. He says, pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace. What does pursue mean? To chase with an intent to capture. When you pursue something, your desire is to get it. You're going to push everything out of the way. You're going to actually eliminate other distractions so you can focus better, give more energy toward Getting your whatever, getting to that goal. You know where you want to be. You're not there. You're going to pursue it. Do you pursue righteousness like that? Being right before God, doing things that aren't wrong. You want to do things biblically, so you pursue it as if to capture it and own it in your life, the right things of God, and more and more, right choices, right thoughts, honorable, not dishonorable actions. That's pursuing righteousness. A passionate chase after righteousness. And he also says after faith, love and peace. Faith. Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So how important is faith? How important? You can't please him otherwise. You cannot please him. You can't live by sight and go, I can try to manipulate and control this. If I just did this and said this and then maybe if I texted him that and then we get this whole thing spinning and then maybe we're trying to manipulate and control because we're trying to be self-protective and get our way. Not of God. Living by faith. This is what God says, so I'm going to do it. I'm not going to try to figure out the what ifs and well, yeah, but will they treat me right? And will I get my, or then it's all self-focused again. So you're already off base. Back to simple. Lord. I'm going to place my faith in this promise, and I'm going to choose to forgive, even though I don't feel like it, even though I don't know how they respond. That's what you call me to do. Lord, you tell me to keep my eyes focused on you and your kingdom first, not second, not maybe, not down the list, not sometime today or this week. Or That's my focus, you and your kingdom first. That's walking by faith. That's trusting God. You realize that you have a, a role to stir up my faith, and I have a role to stir up your faith? A lot of times we think people, oh, well, they're more mature than me. I don't stir up their faith. Yeah, you do. You stir up everybody's faith in this room. And I should too. We should always be ready to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Always ready to say, oh, no, no, God's word says this. Or like, oh, you remember this promise? Or like, God did this for me or provided this for me. Or God reminded me of this truth. And it's just on your lips. It's on your heart. You're ready to stir up anybody that will listen. We do that for each other or we should. We should. Stirring up one another's faith. Then he says we should be pursuing love. Love gets a bad rap because we define it so shallowly. We don't let it have biblical meaning and power. Love, according to scripture, is to take sacrificial action, it's to initiate kindness, help, encouragement, or compassion. Are you pursuing love like a passionate chase? Are you willing to put sacrificial action, your time, your money, your effort, to initiate kindness, help, or encouragement to others? Are you, you thinking that this is a day that God's given me these breaths, this life, to passionately pursue, sacrificially initiating to others, not waiting to see if someone else will do it, not just sitting back and being about myself unless someone has an emergency, Hey, no one called me or texted me. I, I guess everyone's fine. Or if they're not fine, good because they didn't call me or they didn't involve me. No, someone who's got the love of Christ pulsing right, in their life, they're, they're choosing, they're looking to sacrificially make themselves available in relationships. Is that you? And is that the chase? Is that the passion that you have? I would like to be passionately available for your good works, Lord, as an honorable vessel to initiate love, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, or help. That's what I want to be about. If you can say that before the Lord, you know, that kind of scares you to death. Because <laughs> what will that mean? What will he, he'll probably take advantage of me. No, God will actually use you for great purposes. You'll actually bless people in your life. And it's funny how you're, if, you, know, you know, the verse Jesus said, uh, it's more blessed to what? to give than to, you're actually putting that promise, that truth into practice. You'll actually understand it. You actually feel it. Someone was telling me earlier, is it wrong that I love to serve people and I feel so good when I love and serve people? I go, no, you're just living out the design. You're actually just figuring out that's his design. It's better that way. It's a better life. And it glorifies God even more and a lot more than serving self, loving self, And then peace, he says, passionately pursue peace. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's a cool thought. Do you like that thought? As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do you like that thought, anybody? That's kind of a cool thought. Put that on a mug, right? Is that just a cool thought? Is that just a cool thought, anybody? Does anyone recognize that? Who thinks that's scripture? As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Okay, now I gave you a hint, so all your hands and nodding. <laughs> okay, that's a scripture from Romans 12, 18. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If you're going to write uh, pursue with an intent to capture peace, you want peace to reign in your relationships. You believe that's what God would want. You believe that that's a command. As far as it depends on who should you live peaceably with all? As far as it depends on who? Okay, I want you to pick up your fingers, both your fingers, do this. Okay, don't we, we love to point fingers. Okay, you ready? As far as it, de- and we're gonna put this into practice. As far as it depends on, as far as it depends, one more time. As far, don't hurt yourself. As far as it depends on on you, on me. I need to pursue peace with those that I'm not at peace with. No, 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 no. They started it. No, 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 no. I tried a little bit, didn't go anywhere. I mean, I tried just a little. I mean, I couldn't do it. It's all I could do. Just as far as it depends on you, if there's lack of peace, you should be taking the initiative because you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, don't you? You take the initiative. You pursue the peace. You lay your life down. Let others think that you're a doormat. Oh, they trampled over you. Oh, they, he didn't stick up for himself. Are we supposed to stick up for ourselves like we are someone special? Jesus didn't stick up for himself, did he? He laid his life down as a ransom for many. He was a lamb that was, went to the slaughter and didn't even open his mouth. And we're concerned about how people would view us by Pursuing peace and being lovely and kind and forgiving and gracious. No, we have a reputation to protect. We have a reputation to lay down is what we have and should. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace passionately. And then this is the greatest part. And don't do it yourself, by yourself. Paul said we do it uh, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, verse 22. We do it together. You hear me relentlessly encourage you to get in a small group, a men's study, a women's study, a life group, a ministry where you have other people regularly. Why do I keep telling you that? Well, one, because it's biblical. Two, because there's such blessing when you open up your heart, become a little more vulnerable with your own brokenness, your life, your issues, your needs, your celebrations, all of it. All of it. You're just a real person with other believers. Then you're going to see the encouragement that comes as you support and pray for and realize you're not alone do it with other like-hearted believers that call on the Lord from a pure heart. Isn't it awesome we do this together? I love being a family. Family's awesome in Christ. It's awesome. Because I know you love the same Jesus as me, and I know the same Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in you. And I know if you're obedient and you stir me up, you're going to get a lot of that back from me. And I know if you pursue peace, I'll recognize it as coming from Jesus. And I know as I go out and, and try to you know, pursue peace with anyone that there's, it's a little sideways. Oh, they look a little funny. Oh, they might say this, they might do that. I'm not living in courage. When I step into the courage of the Lord prompt, the Lord's prompting, great things can happen for you and for me and for us. And then he transitions and he says, the Lord's servant is not an angry arguer, but rather he must be kind, patient and teaching, hoping to correct opponents with gentleness that they would come to the truth. So let's look at those few words real quick. Kind. You disagree with someone? Instead of arguing intently to be right, anytime you are so driven to be right, you're wrong because you're sacrificing the relationship. You can want to be right is like you're pointing to truth, but you go in kindness, not with ill intent, not mean-spirited, not winning at all costs. You go gently and calmly. You can't go gently and calmly. You have the wrong spirit about you and you need to wait and pray more. Or if it gets stirred up in you and you're not remaining calm and gentle, you need to take a 10. Take a pause. Take a walk. <laughs> get some prayer going. Figure out why it's you get triggered in so much anger. You got to do what David did. You got to like get alone with God and go, "Why why all my, my, goals and motiva- uh, uh, my goals and desires are being blocked by this person and now it's making me angry because I can't get what I want because they're... And then you've got to realize, why am I so intent on getting my way and peaceful, wonderful, comfortable lifestyle for me? So go deeper and ask the Lord. Then say, Lord, now I understand. I need to be kind. I need to put the results in your hand. You're asking me to pursue peace. to to bring correction where there might need to be correction or at least pointing to the truth and then leaving the truth there. I don't have to win. Lord, you already won at the cross. It's about you, Jesus. It's not about me. It's not how people view me. It's not how people view your truth. Ultimately, they have to answer to you, not to me. I can present calmly and gently my perspective on that verse or that truth or my own hurt, but I go calmly. The Lord's servant is not an angry arguer we're kind and we're patient that was the other word he used patience takes time it's having a long fuse maybe some multiple conversations learning to be responsive not reactive pausing in a conversation being prayerful taking time to listen to the holy spirit all with this goal in mind to teach and correct opponents according to the truth. That they would be rescued from being captured by the devil, the snare of the devil. And that's up to the Lord, but you present yourself. You present the truth. You present whatever argument, but you do it kindly, patiently, gently, with calm self-control. That would mean you're leaving the dishonorable ways of the world and you're pursuing righteousness faith love and peace with those who call on the lord from a pure place a pure heart wanting to establish relationships not tear them apart wanting to bring people to a place of peace and understanding the love of christ wanting to demonstrate and model the very thing you're hoping they want for their own lives they get to see it in you and no forcing no cajoling you don't have to twist people's perspective or you just present christ you present truth And you do it with a life full of good works. That's how all this works together. And I want to end with this verse. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The light of Christ, he is the light of the world, comes through believers that follow him knowing that they're honorable vessels, confessing and ridding themselves of sin more and more and more so the light shines brighter. So the good works are happening more and more, bringing the attention to Jesus, not you. Because it's not, it'll be obvious, it's not by your power. It's by the power of the Spirit that lives in you. What an incredible calling we have. He calls us honorable vessels. He wants us to be useful to Him at all times, ready for every good work. And we can be. Not because it's easy, but because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. So that can be accomplished and through our lives. Let's do a quick review and a couple of reflection questions. Be useful to the master, ready for every good work. And you do that by fleeing dishonorable passions, passionately pursuing righteousness. Reflection questions. How will you present yourself to God each day as an honorable vessel for his use? And I'd say each day, underline in your your mind. How are you pursuing righteousness with others who call on the Lord with a pure heart? Then lastly, what dishonorable passions, attitudes, or words must you flee from in order to be a clean vessel? Take those to heart and take those to the Lord, and you're going to find incredible truth and freedom. And the freedom and the truth sets you free and starts building relationships useful to the master so we're going to have a time now of worship we're going to have an offering we're going to have our worship team come on out lead us in a couple songs and we're going to have two baptisms so it's going to be an awesome time just to worship and bring our praise to god so would you join me in a prayer Lord, it's kind of hard for us to believe in Christ you call us honorable vessels because often we don't feel that. But that's our identity. That's who you say we are. If you say it, it's true. So thank you, Lord, that because of Christ and his cleansing in our life, that the guilt and condemnation for our sin has been lifted from us and been washed from us. We're clean and pure before you, God because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But Lord, we confess there are times we allow dishonorable things to attach to our lives, our heart and our mind or distract us. We just confess those to you right now. Whatever was on your heart during this message, just confess that to God. It's probably already there. Say, God, that doesn't honor you. Those words, that attitude, those choices, they don't honor you. I'm putting filth in this honorable vessel of yours in my life. Forgive me, Lord. Wash me. Search me. Know me. Forgive me. Thank you, Lord. You better thank him for cleansing you right now because he did. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now use me. Master, use me more. Lord, send me out into this world for good works that bring attention and glory to the Father in heaven. Thank you, Lord. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you know you've lived a life that's dishonorable to God and it's kept you separated from him Just confess that to him and ask Jesus to come into your life now to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to wash your sin clean, remove it. And if you can tell him, Lord, forgive me, come in and lead my life now. I want to follow you, be your child. Then he just did, thank him. Thank you, Lord. And may we continue to respond to you, Holy Spirit, as you take the truths we've just learned and apply them to our hearts and our lives and our relationships. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time now to worship you. It's from our heart, Jesus. It's for you. You're a worthy Savior and shepherd and friend.